Welcome to another episode of the AbilityNet podcast. Disability, technology, inclusion. I'm your host, Robin Christofferson, Head of Digital Inclusion at AbilityNet, a pioneering UK charity with a mission to make a digital world accessible to all. You can download a transcript of this episode from www.abilitynet.org.uk slash podcast. So sit back, grab your favourite beverage and let's get started. Welcome back, guys. Today, it's Mark Walker. Our Mark Walker is interviewing Liz Heaney, who is head of core accessibility programs at Google. And it's part of our How to Improve Accessibility in Procurement webinar, which also included Susanna Lauren of Funker and the IAAP and George Rhodes of the University of Westminster. A full recording is available at abilitynet.org.uk slash accessible-procurement-webinar. Hey, Liz, thank you so much for joining us. You're over in California, I think, aren't you? Yes, San Francisco. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for, for coming in and joining us uh, for this conversation. Um, I'm going to be asking you about procurement and, and accessibility in procurement. Um, and obviously, we're, we're, we're really keen to hear your, your tips and ideas and experience of your work that relates to that. But um, could you first just tell me a little bit about your role and how that connects into accessibility at, at Google? Sure. Well, as you can see, I'm Liz Heaney. I head the core accessibility programs team. Core is the area of Google that produces our internal tools, as well as some external facing ones. My scope also includes ensuring that the third-party products purchased by Google are vetted for accessibility. So I own the third-party procurement process from an accessibility standpoint. And my team's mission is ensuring that Google is the best place to work for people with disabilities. Cool. So, and, and is your, and do you have a specialist background in accessibility or procurement? I mean, how did you end up in that seat with those two yeah. things joined together? I know. No, no. I just was looking at this job and it appealed to me from, it, I just feel passionate about ensuring everybody can have a level playing field when they work. So I've not been exposed to accessibility before. I've been learning. I'm lucky that at Google, we have a lot of ways and tools for learning. So I've been just reading and watching and listening a lot. Cool. So, so uh, just to, to make sense of that then, so there's the, there's the accessibility piece broadly and, 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 you know, you're part of the jigsaw about making sure that what Google provides externally and internally from what you're saying is it is your is your principal focus about the systems for employees or is it more broadly around the way that products and services are made accessible uh, more generally well because it's google i have a peer that works with the other rest of the we call them pas so different organizations who mostly do external products so i focus on the core which is a pretty big area but Mostly the scope is then for the products that all of our Googlers use. And when we buy a third-party product, all of our Googlers use them as well, right? Some In some cases, we may build a product on top of that third-party and then external users use them as well. 
But because we use all of our products, those impact our internal users as well. So I think for third party, it it felt like this was an area that would fall under my purview. Cool. And and you're talking about quite a large number of users, presumably, in terms of Google employees. Just remind me, what, what do you think of in terms of the number of people you're trying to cater for? Tens of thousands, presumably. Well, yeah. And, you know, disabilities are many times invisible. So people don't see people with disabilities a lot. But just if you look at Google, there's a population of a small city, right? So, and... Yeah. Like I mentioned, some of our products do go worldwide. So we have a lot of products now that reach over a billion users. Wow. And in that wow. case, the swath's a lot bigger yeah. of people that you might hit who have a disability. So it's important work. Cool. And yeah, I don't no, no. Well, care just say it's that. just one, right? Like I always, <laughs> I, I always wanted to make it fair. Fairness is one of my biggest core values. So Cool. Well, and I think that passion that, that, that brings everybody to, to the table for accessibility is clearly there in, in, in your case. Um, so, so tell me about um, procurement in Google. I mean, is there a particular way that Google goes about making decisions um, in terms of the software that it's buying? Is it, are you sort of following a blueprint in terms of your role? I, I don't know about blueprint. Like, in, there's two ways in which products come to Google. There's a third way, which would be like if I want to buy just one license. So I'm going to ignore that because I don't think that that impacts people with disabilities. Presumably, you wouldn't be buying a product you don't know that you can't use. But yeah. mostly there's RFPs or so requests for proposal, and we use a lot of acronyms acronyms in the US. So do stop me whenever you hear one you're not familiar with. So the request for proposal is the most standard way. There could be, like I mentioned before, maybe a leader of an organization that's used a product somewhere else and now wants to buy it here and will come through the PL. Then for the RFP, we worked with procurement to add questions with regards to accessibility right there and then so that when you compare vendors, you can see are they WCAG 2.1 AA? Do they have an accessibility conformance report, which I'll say ACR? Or like, what is their process for addressing issues? Will they give us access to their systems to smoke test them? So once we select a vendor, there's also a tools governance team that we have at Google to see if we're trying to buy something that's already in existence in our ecosystem so that we don't have a proliferation of tools. So that's another place where you we have talked to that team to make sure that we look at accessibility as one of the governance items. And then it comes to our team at the time of launch. Well, sorry, there is a step ahead, like I mentioned, if they do give us an ACR, which is that accessibility conformance report, we will still smoke test the product to make sure that it is accessible. Any bugs or issues, then the person procuring the software will work with a vendor to try and get those solved before launch. I think this is the best part or the best time where you can hold a vendor accountable to making the product accessible because they're interested in the sale. 
So they're already just to check on the smoke test thing because that's not a phrase I'm familiar with. I, I, the other there's two questions. One is what it consists of. The other one is within the process. Are you suggesting that you're doing the test before you've told them that you're going to choose their product, or do they, or are you somewhere in the process where you've made enough decisions with your ACR that you think? hey, this is the right thing, but we're now going to make sure that they put right anything before we bring it in. I guess that's a line somewhere, isn't it, in the decision making It is, because it, testing is expensive, as you might yeah, know. Yeah. And so we can't just test all the 13 products. So we want to make the – you do have some answers, like I said, on the RFP that will give you an indication. Like if they don't know if they're WCAG 2.1 compliant, odds are that their software is not acceptable, for example. (laughs) So once we get to the short few, smoke testing really is just like a cursory test of the main walkthrough scenario for making the main activity you want to do, getting that done. So we don't test the entirety of the software because that would be, like I said, expensive. And really it's the responsibility of the vendor but many times, even though they have an ACR or completed what they call, many people call it VPAT, but even though they have one, sometimes the person completing it has no formation in accessibility. So they go like, is there enough contrast? And they go like, yeah, looks like it to me. And it's so, you know, so I feel like it's important to still test those yeah. just to make sure that what you're getting is a good ACR and that people, when they get the software, we're obviously testing in a test version. So it's before you purchase so that when people get on the software, they'll be able to perform their activity. Uh, that's interesting. So that's really helpful to 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 dive in a bit on that detail because I can imagine that people are saying to themselves, "Well, I, you know, I, if if you if you don't know whether you're WCAG compliant, you're not." Is generally, you know, if I ask you and you don't know the answer, you're probably not. You might be by accident. So that's well, that that discounts a load of people. But then the next bit that you're describing is how much time and effort do you put in to deciding how accessible the particular user journeys are that you're describing in your case is that is that the lion's share of the work that you're doing is that you know because that's quite a lot of time and effort needed on i don't know maybe there's two or three candidates at that point um, or do you wait until it's just the one and the decision's been made we that, that, we try where you're putting the most time in I'm I'm leaning towards like when it's like one to two like if you're between two sure yeah. like we don't want to do too many it, I don't know what lion share like we we don't I will say Google does do a lot of their own development of tools so there isn't that many that come here we do a lot of testing for other teams that don't have accessibility analysts within Google so I would say the lion's share of our work is testing our internal products and new versions of them that keep coming up to make sure they remain accessible. And yes, we get this occasional request for third party, which we do do this kind of testing. We try to push that to the vendor to like use an accessibility company to do their testing, someone that specializes in it, like such as AbilityNet, would it seems but like we have level access and a few that we know that do good testing but yeah we we do the smoke testing yeah so the smoke testing then is is more of your 
uh, at the screen yourselves. I mean, in, in, in our, in our case, what I've done a couple of times when we've been facing this internally is ask someone of my colleague who's a screen reader user to, to do something. Um, and you know, then it's an, it's an initial test of the navigation of some of the key features using a screen reader. As you know, that's not the only disability. It does screen for a fair amount. So we do our testing for, we have some people with disabilities definitely doing testing, but many times they cannot see people with screen reader users, who are screen reader users cannot see contrast issues, for example, or font size issues, for example. And maybe the cognitive overload that some other things could produce might be transparent to them. So we do have testing services that go through all a slew of different issues that we're looking for. And we put that early in the RFP. We ask if we will be allowed to have access to test their software during this process. So we preempt that by having that asked in the RFP. And then that's the, that's what you're saying. They're sort of relatively light touch testing at that point, rather than sending it off externally. They're, they're just checking that things make sense with some of the yes. common, common issues. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So we might miss some, but the idea is that we at least will get a good sense and see if the ACR they provided was well tested. Yeah. Once Do you get, get pushback oh, from your vendors? Do you get much pushback from your vendors? I mean, are they are they on your side at that point? You're Google. You're buying presumably a fair amount of licenses. You're a big <laughs> a big customer. I mean, are they saying, well, "Why have I got to do this?" Or are they do they get it? Are they in? Are they in on your side of the coin? Or are they just trying to get over another lump before they get the get the, before the deal signed off? We do get certain amount of pushback. That's more a problem for the procurement team, fortunately, because our <laughs> job's <laughs> not so aggregated. Uh, there's pushback on that. There's pushback on that contract. So our code of conduct for vendors says that they have to be WCAG 2.1AA compliant. So that's on our code of conduct. We also have some contracts that they try to redline and they go, well, we're not 2.1 AA yet. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, but then let's put it in the SOW, which is our statement of work, that you have to be compliant by the time we launch. It's okay not to have it now, but you'll have to be at the time you launch. But they try to redline, like scratch out the accessibility sections of the contract. And I tell them, well, that's in our code of conduct. So you can't really delete it from the contract and make it go away. No. so that becomes more of a discussion of when they can become compliant. And we do work, so like I said, the procurement person and the a person interested in buying the new product, they work with a vendor to see when they can make it. In the case that they can't get compliant before launch, we do have, like I mentioned, the smoke testing. We create a hot list, we call it, of bugs. So the list of bugs for that vendor. And they have to file an exception report. The right. exception report gets signed by all sorts of people. And I can get that into that later. But they say when they'll fix each of the bugs that were found. Now, I go with that list, and we have a desktop accessibility, so specialized just for people with disabilities, and we'll share this list with them and ask them to keep 
adding to that list as people report issues. We also share it with the accommodations team so that they're prepared. And as part of the exception report, they have to identify a workaround. So this will help our tech stop team to share what the workaround is for people with disabilities. So once we have all that in place, then that product launches. And when it's time to renew the contract, the person that specializes in renewal, bear, bear with me because in Google we have <laughs> for different one things. Of it's easier when it's just one person sometimes. Yeah. And so I've already worked with a person that does renewals. I'm like, I'll add to your, he has a Google Sheets document with all the different hot lists. So whenever this one comes for renewal, look at it, see how they've performed against their plan and see how many new issues were introduced. Because sometime with software as a service, they'll do an upgrade and they'll break things that were fine and fix things that were broken. That's why when you get an accessibility conformance report, it's important that it's for the version that you are implementing. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, this is for the previous version. And you're like, well. (laughs) (laughs) And and so you've got, You've got you've got some key allies there, I guess, in your in your in, in your description there. You've got the you've got the procurement people. You've got whoever created the code of conduct. You've got the renewals processes. I mean, they're they're the they're the sort of significant building blocks that that you're connecting into from what you're saying. And I mean, are you stepping into a situation where Google has already made all those decisions, or are you sort of continuing to push accessibility back onto the table and reminding people of these responsibilities and I guess sometimes it will be one and sometimes it will be others. You know, it's interesting. Like, so, yes, there's different allies. The code of contact, what, conduct was done by legal. I had to update for WCAG 2.1AA. I can't tell you how, how much effort that was or how, like, it seemingly seems just change the word and it had to get translated and get all over the place. But so you need an ally in legal for contracts. And they're like, well, we have too many. I mean, you can get pushback from the different teams on that. They're like, well, now we have it in the code of conduct. But it's it's a win every time. And because it's it's a muscle you need to learn to work, right? Um, I got lucky that I got a good partnership and I found a sounding ear from my procurement office. Getting in with your head of procurement to me is the key point because they're the gatekeeper of anything that comes in like whichever way it might come in it'll go through procurement so it's a one touch point that you can have where you're in you're in they also own the rfp process they own all of the processes themselves right so getting them in is critical If you don't get as lucky and you find someone who's like, yeah, whatever, there are a few things I've been thinking about what you could do if you're not so lucky. I think sometimes people don't see people struggle with a product. So if they bought a third-party product for, mostly they buy third-party products for the areas of finance or human resources, all the human resource operations, which finance, okay, but all the human resources ones are used by most of the companies. So you're bound to hit someone with disabilities. So having them watch someone with a screen reader trying to do their performance review or self-assessment is just like, I think could be an awakening for them to see the importance. 
we like with Cindy Gwen, who is our head of procurement. I don't know why I said head three times, but like (laughs) she and I will lay down the process of procurement and start seeing where else we could put a control to make it work. I think, like I said, if you put it very much at the end as a launch check by then, you've probably have a signed contract. Well, for sure, you have a signed contract and you are lost all your power of negotiating with a vendor and you've run through your timeline of allowing them. Sorry, I had COVID. So it got Sorry. No worries. So you probably by then run through your timeline that would allow them to fix any issues. And they already have, let's say, the Google logo as one of their clients. So it gets a lot trickier to enforce. That's where you can go for renewal, like at the time that the license comes up for renewal, for making changes in the amendment of the contract or but but again, it's always easier if you have it early on, like in the RFP, when people are like looking at different vendors more openly and go like, oh, this one's not accessible, but that one is. Well, that's, you know, if all things are similar, then why not? And I'm, in, I'm interested in a couple of things. Firstly, do you see the vendors realizing the competitive advantage and just in the time that you've been working on this, are more people realizing they need to get this right? Is it? Is it becoming a competitive advantage for somebody to get that right? I've not seen it, but in all fairness, I've not been exposed to that side. I just get them once they've been narrowed down. I think if more companies were to do this, then it will become something that the sales team says, hey, fix this bugs because we're losing against other companies that are more accessible. I don't know what they do with a message when they hear they didn't win the bid, maybe because of accessibility issues. I, yeah. I've i not been exposed to that, but I do think it's important that the more and more people do this, the more it'll happen. I've led a pretty long career implementing software successfully too, without ever giving it a thought giving accessibility a thought and not because I didn't care. It just didn't even occur to me. And so if I'm a project manager and I look at RFPs and I'm like, Oh, accessibility. Okay. Yeah, no, it has to be accessible. But if you've never thought of it, like you might skip it altogether, like I've done for so many years. And so I think that just having that there is important for, more than just in the procurement person. It's just creating a habit of thinking that way. Yeah. And then and the other the other person you've mentioned who I think is really interesting is the procurement specialist, that the you know, the person your your ally. Uh, how long is the list of priorities that she's facing of which accessibility is just one? I'm imagining that as, as they could they could be hundred percent committed to accessibility, but they still have hundred and one other 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 items that they need to consider within their processes, security being the one you mentioned, you know. Yeah, and security and privacy fortunately take a while, but they have goals to get the procurement process to be faster and smoother, and I'm adding a hurdle. So in a way, it's for them to buy adding this hurdle with me. 
that's why it's tricky. The I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. I, I think it's helpful to see it from their point of view, isn't it? So that we understand absolutely why this, and why this is easy to drop or easy to overlook or easy to skimp on it you know we, we may have the intention but the reality is it will slow it down as you say and their targets will be about the speed of implementation not specifically accessibility that's an so interesting observation it, it's important too because that's how they get measured right so yeah. if you're adding something that slows them down they're like less likely to buy into it but i I did get lucky and I do have, we do have a team that we also contract out in case we need more capacity to make sure that we do our testing before privacy and security, okay. <laughs> like in a shorter time frame, if you will, so that we don't become a burden to her process. So that's kind of a, that's a nice a, tip, actually. I quite like that one. I think that if anybody's thinking about where they might do it, then within the decision-making process is to look for that gap where you're the one that got got it done, not first necessarily, but early. It be, I mean, not being you the longest anyway. pole on the tent. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, well, also, you want to know sooner rather than later, don't you? You want a, an early heads up that this isn't going to pass the test is better than waiting until the others have done theirs and then telling them they've got to go and do it on another product instead because, you know, your, your testing is third. No, I, li- I think that's a really interesting route into the conversation with the procurement person yeah. as well, because that speeds their processes up. And as you say, that's their their key metrics. But we do um, have a culture of accessibility. So I will say that it was, it's not that I had to justify this for Cindy. She was like, she saw the importance of it right away, which was really nice, but I had that in my mind. <laughs> mm, mm. No, well, but, I, 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 you know, a great believer. I mean, uh, in terms of advocacy for accessibility, most of we talk about preaching to the choir to the people who are already sort of you know in the gang and the people it's out the people outside in the in in the other choirs the procurement choir what what does their world look like what are their challenges what are their problems the more you understand that the easier it is to cross the line and work together so that's a really helpful observation i think absolutely but so here it is like if you can't get your procurement office to buy into this I think your second best would be your program management office or PMO, project management office, however, product management office. Normally, when you are going to buy a product, well, there's that build versus buy decision, but that's already a project. And I find that they are going to be involved in most of the RFP process and the whole shebang. So. If you can get them to say like, hey, if you ever are in a position where the answer is buy versus build, here are some questions I'd like to make sure that we ask. And as long as it's in the PMO and they know that this is happening, then they can plan for it as well. I do think that some of the pushback you might get in general, like when you're doing accessibility, like I did kind of hint to it is that you have pressure to launch the product, right? So that's where the exception report maybe comes in. So having the PMO ahead, knowing that these are questions that can be asked, will create that knowledge. Because I think people don't just, most people, it's not that they don't care about accessibility. Most people don't think about it. 
And so just getting that them to think about it becomes an important tool to make products more accessible. At least you'll get the ones that think about that care about it, which is a vast majority. You sorry, grow, I would say you'd grow that population by getting knowledge out there of like, did you think of asking this if you're going to be building, sorry, buying versus building. And if they know that you're the person to ask, they'll go, hey, I'm buying something now. I don't remember you. I mentioned <laughs> you mentioned something about accessibility. What are the things I should ask? Right. So yeah. I have a short checklist of things to ask for them when the time comes. And that's a okay. good exercise. And the short checklist, is that at the level of the smoke test? I mean, is it sort of just a very sort of, I don't mean literally in terms of the actual activity, but it's oh, that no, sort no, of general no. check-in, make sure they've said this, make sure they've said this type thing. Ask if they're WCAG 2.1AA or when you get to Europe, like their new yeah. regulation, right, would be more appropriate for you. See what type of discipline they have in testing. Like, do they have an ACR filled out? Who filled it out? Do they have a process by which someone with disabilities can escalate an issue? Can they give you access for people with disabilities to test the software ahead of purchase? So those are the questions. Like some basic that like those basic questions will give you a temperature check on whether the vendor is compliant. And if they say, I don't know if I'm WCAG 2.1, I think there's a lot of intentionality on being accessible. So people think, well, I don't know. So we probably are. And and that's probably the opposite because exactly the opposite. there is so much intentionality in making it accessible and usable, right? Like having to tab 40 times to get to where you want to go. It's not usable. It might be accessible, yeah. but not usable. So just you do really have to design with accessibility in mind and it makes a big difference when you do. Hmm. So um, uh, 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 that's just led me on to one, one final area really is this difference between accessibility and usability. I'm thinking about the ways in which you interact with others when they're making their decision. So um, like you said about, yes, it's technically accessible, but you've got to tab 40 times to get to this. Um, and we, you know, we have in-house systems that probably are accessible, but I don't like using them because they don't feel very usable. And um, um, that's a funny line, isn't it? Once you've got over the line between accessible, technically correct. Yeah. How do you then make decisions when you need to about usability and in particularly involving real users? Is that the stuff when you've already bought it and you keep a log? At that point, you're just sort of reporting on it. Do you do anything before that? People don't. Yeah, I don't know that users report annoying and hard to use as much as a issue, but right. we do have we do heuristic evaluations. Uh, that's what we call them. I don't know why, right. but or Agua studies they call it. They're usability studies. So we will have people from our disability alliance that will volunteer to help have them go through the process and see okay. the issues they face. Some of the usability ones, God, we have a list, but I will give you a few of them, but there's like multiple tabs to get to where you have want to go to the options, not being clear, the overload of options for certain disabilities. So just giving them way too many options or not being very consistent on what an option means. Um, 
There are a few more of usability issues, but yeah, the biggest one that I think of is like the multiple tabs, the findability, right? Like when you see that many people can't find how to do a simple thing, that's also one of those. But yeah, we do usability studies with people from different disability groups. Cool. So um, a, a final question for me, I, I guess, is what, what lies ahead? I mean, it all sounds great in Google. You don't need to do much more. It's all working perfectly from what you've just said. Where what? are the challenges? Where are the Google challenges in terms of this issue? Do you think in terms of the next sort of big steps for it? I mean, it, it, clearly you're taking lots, say- lots of very positive steps. Where do you see the next sort of phase of, of development being? Well, we're actually going to set up a brainstorming session and redraw our purchasing process and see where we can tweak again and have our procurement person there, the people from the tools governance team there, like everybody that's involved in it coming up with ideas on how to make it better. And I think that that will help people gain ownership of their idea and help implement it. I kind of had done this myself already, but I want them to suggest it so they feel more ownership. Uh, I think there's no end of training people in Google on accessibility. I think the more people that know about this, the better you'll be all around. But the biggest pressure still remains the need to launch. I want to launch now. And it has accessibility issues. I think uh, people like to implement things. And so it's always that challenge of, hey, I know you want to launch, but this is going to be a problem when you do. And so, so getting them to think about this earlier in the process is where it comes in. So we do design reviews now. We're trying to get people to have their mocks, their initial mocks come to our team for design review. So people go like, yeah, see this, this is not going to work for people with low vision or for people with different types of disabilities. So we have a guide on how to do good design so that by that time it gets to launch, it's already been thought through all the way and we don't have to deal with that. You can't launch like this. They'll already have that baked in. So I think that that's where we're just calling it shift left, like just trying to get always further ahead on the process and ensuring that our UX and engineering teams are trained on accessible design and engineering. And I guess the same thing goes to the procurement teams as well, in the sense that that sort of it's one of a number of things they need to know about and why it's mentioned in the contractual side of things. So the greater awareness they have, the sooner they spot an issue, which is going to slow the process down from their side. Absolutely. Like, I mean, just when they see it, right, like they'll see the RFP come back. And so they'll see having those questions in there is already a way to reach their team. But Cindy will make sure She's our global procurement office head, and she'll make sure that her team is aware of it. But, yeah, I think definitely they don't need to be super savvy on procurement, on accessibility in procurement. They just need to know it's important in a way, right? So I I feel like whenever you buy, you're still implementing. So it's important for the 
engineering teams as well to be aware of it so that they may if you could buy an accessible software and making it inaccessible really quick you know so yeah. so it's important yeah. that you have the teams that are implementing aware of it too so yeah. that's fantastic thank you so much um um i mean i think that uh, from the point of view of people listening in, it, it, you know, Google is, a, is is obviously a complicated machine um, in the sense of all the different decisions that are being linked together. Uh, I particularly picked up on your point about some people's sort of key indicator is how quickly we're going to get the decision made for lots of reasons. You know, I want to get to launch quickly. It's a key indicator for me, therefore, for the procurement team to get through that process quickly. So how can we simplify that from the accessibility point of view uh, earlier is better for that reason i'm sure as you're saying you know from their point yes. of view you're saying look my advice to you you want to get it done quickly do it at the beginning not the end because then you're gonna you're gonna you know that's broadly why they're gonna buy into it isn't it yeah well a couple of things right like well we are lucky that accessibility is in our mission statement so we are about making the world's information accessible but it, and it means it that way. So we have some good support at the top, which I think is important. But I think we're all rich at the beginning of a project in time, right? Like everybody yeah. feels like, okay, we're in requirements, whatever. September feels so far away, we're good. And so if you're considering it now, it doesn't feel as onerous as when you have like, I have one week left and I need to launch now. And now you come and put your foot out on this accessibility yeah. thing. That's a terrible experience for everybody involved and it doesn't serve your people with disabilities at all. So having it be at the beginning is where you'll get the easiest buy-in and the least conflict, right? But it's yeah. also important to have that culture top down. So yeah. you don't get people well, like, that, sorry. That's a good combination, I think. That's the, that's the goal, I, I guess, for anybody looking in and thinking about how their organization is going to improve, that you're going to return to that sort of, that, that cross, across the, the, the two sort of areas of top down and then inside the processes. That's, that's going to be that common theme, isn't it? Yeah, it's not impossible to do it without top down if you find a good ally within the different groups, but it definitely makes it easier when you have that in yeah. your favor. And it's hard to say, like, no, I'm not for accessibility, right? Like, I, you probably won't get that from the top either. No. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for, for joining us, Liz. It's been really interesting. And I think, um, you know, I, I know a bit about Google because of other people we work with, but the processes you're describing there and bringing to life the decision-making inside the organization are, are fascinating. And I'm sure people sort of listening in are going to learn a lot from top tips and the, some of the, some of the points at which perhaps, you know, when to prod and when to step back, that sort of thing. So no, it's really fascinating. Google's a very, very big company. So it does add simplicity and complexity as well, right? Like having to split between the different people that you have in a process where in other companies, it's always just one person. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I have to get buy-in <laughs> from more to get the same, but it's, it's all good. I think it's a noble deed. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that passion runs through everything you're talking about. Really wonderful to 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 hear it coming through in the in the way that you're doing your work. So, thank you. Wow, really good conversation. Thanks both. And you can get our how to include accessibility in your procurement guide from AbilityNet. 
www.ofcourt.org.uk slash procurement dash guide. And you can also download our digital accessibility maturity model, which helps you gauge how well your organization is doing with regards procurement, as well as other areas from training to tooling, from capability to leadership from abilitynet.org.uk slash dam. That's D-A-M-M. Thanks for listening to this episode of the AbilityNet podcast. If you're looking for accessibility training, AbilityNet offer a range of affordable, high-quality online training courses to help you build skills in accessibility and inclusive design. Courses include PDF accessibility, accessible social media, and more. Use the discount code ABILITYNETPODCAST10, that's all one word, for 10% off any upcoming AbilityNet online training. And discover more courses at abilitynet.org.uk slash training. Thanks again for tuning in and more hot discussions around accessibility will be coming soon.